Our reading this morning will be Isaiah 40, verses 21 through 31. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right hand disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall fall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And if you would please open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 12. The book of Revelation, chapter 12. And we will look together this morning, uh, verses 12 to the end of the chapter. As I said last week, to understand the book of Revelation, um, I believe personally, is to start in chapter 12. To give an overview of the cosmic reality of the war um, that we face. Now, we face a foe that is a defeated foe. Uh, The the head of Satan was crushed uh, through the cross of Jesus Christ, but nevertheless, He rails against God's people. He attempts to bring accusation of God's people to their minds for he can no longer bring accusation to the throne of God because he's been cast out because of the victory of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we must stand fast on the word of God. So to get a little more insight into what our earthly life will be like as believers Let's begin here in verse 12, remembering where we left off. Notice verse 11. And they, the people of God, have conquered him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness." to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to help the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured forth from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus, and he stood on the sand of the sea. And this ends then the reading of the word of God this morning. And I pray that he'll impress this truth upon our hearts um, for our own good and understanding. In 1970, actor George C. Scott uh, played the role of George S. Patton in the movie Patton. It was a great movie. One of my all-time favorites. It captured, I think, eight Academy Awards. But there's a scene in this movie where Patton is standing on a bluff looking down at the remains of a regiment led by the German military expert, Erwin Rommel. And he says, 
with a victorious grin on his face, Rommel, I read your book. Rommel, I read your book. Now, having read Rommel's book, according to the movie anyway, Patton learned Rommel's strategy and planned his moves accordingly and then defeated Rommel. But if you're a war historian, you'll know that that part of the movie isn't quite true. You see, Patton actually read a German by the name of Karl van Clausewitz, and he had written a book in 1937 on war and his theory of uh, infantry tactics. Now, Rommel, being a German, um, thought Clausewitz's work to be uh, the greatest for war strategy. So they both read the book. Patton studied the same book as Rommel. He developed his strategy, and he beat Rommel at his own game. He destroyed him. Now, Patton also studied the art of war written by the Chinese uh, general Sun Tzu, written 2,500 years ago. And one of the principles that Sun Tzu addresses time and again is this, quote, if ignorant both of your enemy and yourself, you are certain to be in peril. Again, if ignorant both of your enemy and yourself, you are certain to be in peril. Now, just as Patton read to know his adversary, Erwin Rommel, we too must read and know our adversary. Amen? We first read of our victor, Jesus Christ. When we understand our victor, the Lord Jesus Christ, he provides for us our defeated foe and the pl- in, in his ploys. So the Holy Spirit has clearly exposed our enemy's schemes in the pages of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 2.11 tells us, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Now, Revelation 12 and 13 of John's Apocalypse is depicted to uh, expose our enemy, to reveal his motivation, to reveal his strategy in all of his devices. However, chapter 12 and 13 are not about Satan, beloved, as much as it is about how the church is to act in response to the enemy between the first and second comings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what's before us this morning. Now, as previously noted just last week, chapter 12 of the Revelation is a theological summary of what has taken place throughout redemptive history. That's why I think that Revelation 12 is a great place to start before you study the book of Revelation. In one verse, John describes the entire life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, from the nativity to the ascension in one phrase, and that is found in verse 5. Notice, she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So, having failed to overcome the child, Satan failed to overcome the child that was born to this woman. And remember who the woman is. The woman is spiritual Israel, faithful messianic believers of the Old Testament. And they, through those people, would come the Lord Jesus Christ. He came, Satan failed to crush the woman, he failed to crush the child, and a war broke out, led by Michael and his angels, against Satan and his minions so that there's no longer a place for them in heaven. They've been cast down, Satan has been cast down as the result of Christ having been lifted up on Calvary's cross, victoriously ascending to the throne. Now, prior to the cross, as you recall, uh, our adversary readily and rightly accused God's people of defiance and sin. God recognized and he tolerated those railing accusations because they were justifiable. Yes, they are rebels. Yes, they are sinners. But now is the presence of the crucified and risen Savior that stands there. So any accusations that could possibly be brought against God's people are swallowed up by the Lord Jesus Christ, our mediator, who stands between us and the throne. So his... Accusations are no longer justifiable. He's been thrown down, verse 10. He now roams the face of the earth, but he is a wounded dragon, beloved. 
seeking whom he may devour, as the scriptures reveal for us, he attempts now to bombard the minds of God's people with those same old age-old accusations. You're not worthy. You're not even saved. You might think you're saved. You're not saved. No, we, we must stand on the blood of the Lamb, amen? So the one who tries to draw us into doubt, the one who tries to lead us into temptation and sin is the same one that will accuse you when you waver or fail. That's like taking the local drug dealer and making him the DA of San Diego County. Right? So what does he does? He says, I'll scheme against you. I'll tempt you. I'll try to draw you. I'll try to entice you. And then when I do, in the end, I'll accuse you for that. He's determined. He's crafty. He, he's shrewd. He's cunning. And he won't quit. Satan's not a quitter. He's a done, defeated foe, but he will not quit. His time is short. In his tail, this dragon just sweeps about, attempting to pull down the stars of heaven, which are the people of God, but he's got a spear through his head because of the cross. His head was crushed at Calvary. He's simply waiting for the lake of fire. Now, during this period of time, we as God's people, we must remember the promise of a new heaven and a new earth where God's people will dwell, amen? For eternity, in the absence of sin, right? You're justified by faith. That means that sin has no power over you now. So you, you will not stand guilty for that sin. You're sanctified. Sin no longer has power over you unless you allow it to. And then in the end, we'll be glorified where the very presence of sin will no longer exist. So you're released from its penalty, you're released from its power, and in the future, you'll be released from the very presence of sin in glory. So we must remember uh, Revelation 21.3, which promises, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. That's your hope, amen? That's our hope. Now, until then, we are in the midst of a fighting battle with a dragon, as I said, who still sweeps his tail, but he's wounded and knows his time is short, so he's furious. Now, there's five headings for us this morning as we continue in our study. And notice the first heading in your outline, the dragon's limited time, verses 12 and 13. The dragon's limited time. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Now, having failed in his attempt to destroy the child, he turns his attention to the woman. An intensified campaign against God's old covenant people, which was faithful Israel, who is now the new covenant people of God, the church described in Revelation chapter 20 as the bride of Christ. So the woman in view is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. His focus now is on the bride of the Lamb. Remember the church of Smyrna when Jesus gave the seven letters to the seven churches? He said to Smyrna in chapter 2, verse 10, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribu- tribulation. Be faithful. How long? Until death. Be faithful until death. That was the exhortation. So Jesus now is the one who ascended on high and he says, in the interim, until I return, beloved, my beloved, the ones that I bought at the cross, you will suffer. You're going to suffer while you're here because remember, a servant is not greater than his master and if they persecuted me, your master, they will also persecute you. That was a forewarning of verse 13. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth, that's because of the victory of Jesus Christ, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. And that wasn't Mary, that was a people. And Mary was part of that people from which the the, the promised Messiah would come. Now, he pursues, this word pursue in the New Testament is also the word used for persecute. It means to chase after, it means to bully, it means to hunt, it means to harass. When I was a kid, 
grade school, eight, nine years old, we relocated to another part of town, so I started a new grade school, so here I am looking like I do, you know, a strawberry blonde, redheaded looking kid comes into a new school, and all the, you're all this, you are a, a target. If you look different than everyone else, you're a target. So there's a group of five or six boys who would chase after me and want to beat me up after school. So I had to become crafty, and I had to figure out, okay, if they were there yesterday, I'll go this way, and I had to discern, okay, which bush or which building are they going to pop out from today? Well, then they split up. Two over here, two over here. Try to get me any way they could. Right here, beloved. Woe to you, O earth and sea, the devil has come down to you, verse 12, meaning there's no place to hide from this amphibious dragon depicted here as a land and sea creature. Remember, this is all imagery in Revelation, beloved. This is imagery. Satan is not a dragon. He's non-corporeal. He's non-physical. He's depicted as a dragon, an amphibious dragon, land and sea. Wherever he goes, he goes after the woman. But we see here that the shortness of time actually energizes him to execute this destructive work. So too for us, beloved. The brevity of time here ought to energize us to be about Christ's saving work. Amen? Because the time is short. The time is incredibly short when he will come, Jesus will come and separate the chaff from the wheat. The time is short when he will come and put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. The time is also short for this raging bully to be cast into the lake of fire, you see. So we must be about his business, encouraging one another to run this race with endurance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, you see. Uh, I was able, by divine appointment yesterday, to run in an old friend of mine down in Pacific Beach. Okay, he has a part-time job. He's basically a bouncer at a Dickies clothing store, of all places. In Pacific Beach, if you know anything about Pacific Beach and you know what a Pacific Beach uh, starter kit is, it's uh, if you want to look like, uh, and Dickies clothes are great, I wear them myself, but if you want to look like a tough guy, you have to wear baggy Dickies shorts and, I, and a, a tank top and a long chain and, and, and socks that come up to your knees and a big thick um, type of flannel shirt and it kind of draws in bikers and hoodlums and things like that. So here's my friend who was a hoodlum at one time who's in Christ now, was hired to basically protect the woman who owns this store. So you have bikers there and tough guys coming in out of this store and they actually steal things, that's why he's there. But it was the perfect time for me to meet with him yesterday because he needed to be encouraged. He's in Christ, you see. He was saved out of that. Oh, he looks tough, he'd scare probably half of you half to death but he is a new creature in Christ and he needed at this time to be encouraged in this right here the opposition he faced on any any given day so it was wonderful it was awesome to be able to be there and spend time with him but my brother he is energized to preach the gospel because he knows the time is short he's energized man by the spirit of God to proclaim this truth and to even smile at these guys who, 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 who want to mad dog him. Mad dog means to look you down and challenge you, kind of. His mad dog days are over, you see, by the grace of God, you see? So he needs to be encouraged. We need to encourage one another of the wiles of the enemy. The time is short. Now, until he comes, beloved, the Lord does not leave us alone in the midst of this great conflict. And that leads us to our second heading, the woman's flight. Verse 14, but, okay, although this dragon who knows his time is short is attacking the woman, the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half time. Now, we have to stop here. When we read these things, you always have to put yourself in the place of the original recipients of the letter. Now, as they're reading this, what do you suppose is coming to their mind by way of this imagery? It would be the great exodus, amen? The great exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt by the glorious hand of Almighty God. After God delivered Israel out of the hand of Pharaoh, he preserved them through those plagues that fell upon Egypt. 
He parts the Red Sea and he sets them within the safety of Sinai. That's what's in view here. Remember here in Exodus 19, verse 4, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, says the Lord, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Isaiah 51, awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days of old, the generation of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces that pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea away for the redeemed to pass over? So imagery of God snatching his people from the dragon, which was Pharaoh, leading them out of Egypt through the Red Sea and into safety, that's the imagery being drawn from right here in chapter 12 of the Revelation. The dragon pursuing the woman was Pharaoh. Eagle's wings, the almighty God sweeping up the woman and bringing her to safety. They were spared. They were delivered by the blood of the Passover lamb. Remember that? Before they departed, they took a lamb and they slew the lamb. They had to eat the lamb, but they had to take the lamb of the blood and put it on the doorpost and the lintel, you see. So when the angel, when God passed over those people, he passed over them and death did not touch them because they were covered by the blood of the lamb. But the firstborn of all the Egyptians died. So the blood of the lamb infuriates Pharaoh and he chases after the Israelites. God opens up the sea. They pass through and he swallows them up. The enemy that is. So the Lord creates separation for us between the dragon, Satan, and his bride, the church, just like he did the Israelites. See, that's our lot, beloved, as believers. We're delivered by the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb of God is smeared on your forehead. You're a sealed people. You cannot be touched. You are justified by faith according to grace. And the blood that protects and delivers us, that too infuriates the dragon. But he can't do anything to you. So he wants to tempt you. He wants to accuse you. That's what's in view here. So such an assault, as we see, is, is still raging here on earth. But God's people need not fear because the central passage of the book of overcoming, and that's what Revelation is, it's a book on overcoming. How do we overcome as we dwell here until Christ returns? Right here in chapter 12 is the center of the book and the central verse in this book, the central passage in this verse, in our book is verse 11. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb. You're set free. You have eternal life because of the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony for they love not their lives even unto death. See, that's the martyr's secret to a happy and victorious life. This is how we conquer. This is how we overcome. Violent opposition, accusation is conquered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not what? Will not prevail. It will not prevail against my church. She will face persecution, but he sweeps her up and he preserves her, just like he did the Israelites. Great persecution, yes, but the church is secure. And when does the church grow most strongly? During times of persecution, doesn't it? Historically, the church grows, flourishes during times of heavy persecution. But notice he also nourishes her in the wilderness. You know, that wilderness can be a hard, complicated type of place. It's very challenging, but that's where we dwell. See, we're in Exodus also, beloved, but this Exodus is the final Exodus. The Israelites dwelt in the wilderness. That was not the promised land. That was the road to the promised land. We dwell in this final Exodus. This is not the promised land. This is the road to the promised land because of the blood in which covers you, you see. But it was, in the, it, was in the, it was in the wilderness that God met their needs, Israel that is. He provided water from a rock. He provided manna from heaven. He provided quail even when they complained about eating manna from heaven. He had so much quail it made them sick to their stomachs. Remember that? Their shoes didn't wear out for 40 years. Their clothes didn't wear out for 40 years. He provided for them. He sustained them. He led them by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. There he was sustaining and nourishing his people. And that's what he does for his bride. He nourishes them. 
As the dragon rages, he picks up his people and he sweeps them away. He protects them and puts a distance from this enemy and he gives us spiritual nourishment, just like he did Elijah. Remember, Elijah took refuge from that dragon-like vixen Jezebel. You remember the story? And God withheld rain for how long? Three and a half years. Remember, three and a half is symbolic, short of seven. Seven means fullness or complete. So this time of suffering is temporal. And just when Elijah thought everyone else had turned away, just when Elijah thought everyone else turned away from Almighty God and bowed the knee to Baal, here comes the Lord and he says in 1 Kings 19, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal. So beloved, when you think you're the only Christian, like my friend yesterday, thinks he's standing alone, he's not standing alone. He was encouraged to be reminded yesterday that he's not standing alone then you're not standing alone either. That's why the church is so important. That's why it's important to be part of a healthy church. You're not standing alone. So during this inter-advent period, God preserves his remnant, those who are truly in Christ, even when you feel alone like Elijah. So when they thought of wilderness, they weren't thinking of deficiency, beloved. They were thinking of provision, protection, shelter, nourishment. And we receive the same thing. And notice they're nourished for a time and times and half a time. That's the same length of time described in chapter 12, verse 6. The woman fled into the wilderness. There she was prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Back in chapter 11, verse 3, and I will grant authority to my two witnesses, the church, they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Same as chapter 2, the church will be allowed to be trampled for 42 months. Those are all synonymous terms. 1,260 days is 42 months. 42 months is three and a half years. Three and a half years is a time, times, and half a time. All symbolic language for a period of time that will not last forever. That's where we dwell. That's where we live. Awaiting the promised land. Now, not only does he preserve his body corporately, beloved, He also preserves Christians individually. He's infinitely caring and concerned for you, believer, individuals. I mean, you think about this. Perhaps there's been a time or times in your life where you faced extreme temptation. You know that weak area of your life? You know that weak area of life that we all have? It might not be the same type of weakness, but we all have a weakness. And we're faced with this raging, hot, fiery temptation. And there you were just thinking you were going to fall into this and God just sweeps you up and out of something that it would have caused a great and terrible fall. We've all been there and we rejoice in his deliverance. And here you are today, nourished, delivered on the wings of eagles, you see. I know testimonies of believers in the military. Some of you that are in the military, you've been out to sea or overseas, and you say, man, you don't know how tough it's been. I was out there alone. I was spiritually malnourished. I was parched. And right when I thought I couldn't take it anymore amongst all these unbelievers who mock God and are given over to perversion, there he was to provide me sustenance. There he was to provide me a drink of cold water. There he was to nurture my soul with some crumbs of bread, you see. That's what he does. Forever faithful to his people. We just don't want to miss what he does for us, amen? We don't want to overlook those little things because those little things are big things. Big, big things. That was a little bread yesterday for my friend. And it all started because I went down to have coffee with my wife and my daughter and my son at Cafe 957 or whatever the name of the place is. And two blocks away, there he was. Blessing. Isaiah 40 says, he gives power to the faint. To him who has no might, he increases their strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. Even young Christians will faint and be weary, beloved. Young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. This is what we experience in the wilderness, beloved. 
between the first and second coming of Christ. He cares for you individually. He nourishes you. He sustains you individually as he does the church corporately. Notice now the next point, the serpent's venom. Verse 15, the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. So here now the serpent is pictured as emitting a flood-like river from his mouth to drown this same woman. This is just another one of his schemes to destroy the church. It's not persecution now. It's not oppression now, but rather deception. And it's this, beloved, doctrinal deception. Half-truths. In his attempt here is to sweep away the woman with a flood of deceptive words. Deception doesn't usually come with pure error, beloved, because it's too recognizable. It's never pure outright lies that we're confused by or drowned by. It's a little bit of truth with a little bit of error with a whole lot of deceit. That's what cults are made out of. A little bit of truth, a little bit of error, a whole lot of deceit. Vern Poitras writes this in his book, Logos, uh, uh, or the Word of God. Quote, a mixture can sometimes be more alluring to our own rebellious hearts than a blatant lie. A bald lie would too easily unmask its true character. When unmasked, it would cease to be useful, either to Satan in his desire to lure us into evil, or to us in our own desire, in our desire to conceal from ourselves our base motives. We can easily deceive ourselves, beloved, amen? See, that's what was going on in, in the church of Pergamum, those seven letters that open up the revelation. You had heresies of Balaam prevalent within that church, the heresies of the Nicolaitans. And then you had the church of Thyatira who was tolerating that false prophetess Jezebel. Deception. And many false prophets were infil- infiltrating the church in the first century. This is a constant threat to the church throughout every age, beloved. In the last days, they'll be marked by false teachers. When are the last days, beloved? Now. It was the last days then, and it's the last days now. This is what John said in 1 John 4. Beloved, beloved, my dear beloved, my church, my fellow brethren, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have come, have gone out into the world, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ came in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. And he goes on to say, many Antichrists have come. Heresies pertaining to the identity of Jesus plagued the first century church and they plague the church today. Well, he's not the only way. That's heresy. He wasn't really a man, that's heresy. He's not really God, heresy. You know, souls can be pulled down to hell just as easily by way of heretical teaching as they can by the way of a Sodom and Gomorrah life lifestyle. It's more deceptive. You know, doctrinal discernment is greatly lacking in our age. Many people who go seeking a church, they're not seeking for the most part, you know, whether or not the truth is taught from the pulpit. They look for everything else but that. That's almost a secondary thing, if, even, if it's even on their list. They don't care. You know, many in the last days will feel as though they communed with God because they're looking simply for experience. They're not looking for truth. And that's where Jesus said, in the last day, many will say, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. Although you felt like you knew me, you see. It's frightening. Swept away in a flood of deceit. That's what's in view here. Notice though, this flood of venomous deceit coming out of the dragon's mouth for God's people is met with an antidote. Notice. The earth's remedy, verse 16. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Now again, beloved, think in terms of the exodus. The Exodus, God opens the Red Sea and he closes it and he swallows up the dragon, which the Old Testament refers to Pharaoh and all of his soldiers. So we also, in the Old Testament, think of Korah. Remember, Korah rebelled against Moses and Aaron with 250 men. And what did God do? 
he opened the mouth of the earth and literally swallowed them. Korah assembled with his 250 men and he said, why do you exalt yourself, Moses and Aaron, above the rest of us? You know, accusing him of pastoral abuse. <laughs> so the river of trouble and slander that poured out of their mouths, seeking, seeking to bring spiritual harm to God's old covenant people, God swallowed up by the earth. And that's the imagery in view here. But if the Lord, number 16 says, creates something new and the ground opens his mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them and they go alive down into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. Korah didn't merely despise Aaron and Moses. He despised the God that they served. Uh, People might hate the church or hate listening to the actual word preached, their problem really is with God. It's really with the originator of the message rather than the messenger. And that's what was the problem was with Korah. Moses said, who is like you who stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them? So here then, the purpose of protection as an exodus is to guide the church in the wilderness which has been prepared for her by God. And we looked at that back in verse 6, you see. So, although the dragon deceives countless souls with a little bit of truth, mixed with a little bit of heresy, leading to great deceit, the one who works in and through the sons of disobedience with false doctrine, Ephesians chapter 2, is not able to damage you, the bride of Christ is not able to deceive you, the people of God, you see, because he predetermined it. Look at verse 8 of chapter 13. And all who dwell on the earth, remember that term? Those who dwell on the earth in the Revelation refers to those who um, are in rebellion against God. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it, that is the beast, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. When was your name written in the Lamb's book of life, believer? Before the foundation of the earth. Before the foundation of the earth, the Bible says he he chose you, you see. So that is precisely why they cannot be deceived, but they are rather nourished for a time, times, and half a time, 1,260 days, three and a half years, unable to be led astray, regardless of how deceptive these teachers may be. What did Jesus say during his ministry? Let me tell you. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders. Man, he's going to be man, he's the man. <laughs> Look what he can do. Look at how he draws a crowd. They'll perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray if what? If possible, even God's elect. In other words, it's not possible. It's not possible. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also has glorified. Or you're as good as glorified, beloved. You're sealed. All that the Father gives me, Jesus, will come to me, said the Lord. And whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. I will lose not one of them, he said. You cannot be lost. So the earth swallows up these lies while keeping his children safe from being drowned by those lies. You're a secured people, a protected people. You think about the lies throughout church history. You go back to 325 BC, um, we have the theological uh, false teaching of one named Arius, which led to Arianism, which taught that Jesus couldn't have been God. He was a man, but he wasn't God. He, as a matter of fact, was God's highest created being. That's what the teaching was in 325. And then the earth opened up and swallowed those lies which were led by Athanasius of Alexandria. He swallowed up those lies, you see. Or the lies that came out of the flood of the Roman Empire. When the earth again swallowed up those lies during the Reformation, beginning with John Huss and a hundred years later as Martin Luther and Calvin and the rest of the Reformers. That is justification by faith alone. It's not justification by faith plus works. It's faith alone. You neither swallowed them up. 
This, beloved, infuriates the dragon. Notice point five, the saint's testimony, verse 15. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus, and he stood on the sand of the sea. In other words, these people adhere to the testimony and the work of Jesus Christ that he proclaimed about himself. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me except through the Father. And the offspring of the woman is the many children that she has, you see. Those that were born after Christ, that includes you, that includes me. The offspring of this woman. So beloved, look. We must constantly be watchful. We must be ever diligent, always prayerful, to keep the commandments of God, to hold to the testimony of Jesus, which we see in verse 17. So let me ask you a question. We see all this protection of God. We see that the church of Jesus Christ is invincible. Can't lose your salvation. You can't be drawn into false belief if you're a true believer. But does this, beloved, give us the right to become spiritually lazy, reckless, or careless as a believer? Obviously not. You know, I think we often make the mistake of thinking that since the church is indestructible, then I too must be indestructible. You're not indestructible. Having overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb does not give us the right, does not give us the leeway to laugh or mock at Satan. People pray in prayer meetings and they actually mock him. You don't mock him. You, 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 you don't disregard how dangerous he can be. We pray to Christ, we lean on him and stand and resist the devil. That's all we're called to do with him. We're not called to talk to him, to yell at him, to mock him. We stand and we resist him. That is it. Because if we walk the line of temptation, we walk that line, don't presume that he's just going to sweep down and swoop you away out of self-made trouble. We must hold on watchfully. We must not let go carelessly or irresponsibly. That's what verse 17 is telling us. He made war on the offspring of those who keep the commandments and bear witness to the testimony of Jesus. So yes, you will be kept from falling into treacherous sin. You will be kept as you hold on tightly to the commandments of God, hold on tightly to the testimony of Jesus, for we are kept, beloved, from apostatizing. It means to walk away from the faith. You're kept. Enabled to persevere as we hold on tight to the truths that inform us don't miss this, we hold on tight to the truths that informs us that he holds us tightly to the end, you see. So it's a double grip. We hold him and we don't let go, but you have to realize at the same time, it's his hand in the glove that you're gripping him with that he grips you with. We keep to the commandments of Jesus. We trust in the testimony of Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. That is the martyr secret to a happy and victorious life. This is how we conquer. This is how we overcome. Speaking of martyrs, in 1685, there's a little 18-year-old girl by the name of Margaret Wilson who had a friend who was an older woman by the name of Margaret McLaughlin. Margaret McLaughlin, the older of the two, had been tied to a stake in the water waiting for the tide to come over her and drown her for her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. She refused to renounce Christ alone by faith alone, and she refused to swear allegiance to the King of England and his heretical church. So young Margaret Wilson, the 18-year-old, refusing to take that oath, was also tied to a stake deliberately closer to shore so she could witness her friend drown first and then think twice. So the guards allowed the surf to nearly smother the young Margaret. They pulled her up once again. They demanded that she pledge loyalty to to the crown. She refused, saying, may God save the king if he will. And as water was rising, she was heard singing Psalm 25, remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. She embraced the testimony of Christ. She was pursued because she loved the word of God and held to the commandments of the Lord. So who was behind that vicious attack? The dragon. 
Behind it all is the dragon who thrashes about, though he is a defeated foe, going after those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. But remember, none of it happens outside of the sovereign will of God, beloved. God has his martyrs for a reason. You suffer temptation and trials for a reason, as do I, for his greater purposes for your good. So you see, martyrs like Margaret refused to be like a Demas. Remember Demas, Paul's cohort, Paul's partner for a while, 2 Timothy 4, Demas fell in love with this present world and has deserted me. He went back, he went out. They refused to be like Judas who betrayed Christ. They stood firm saying, I will hold to the testimony of Jesus, whatever it takes. This is what we must do with the rage of this dragon. And if you keep the word of God by grace, you can only do it by grace. You'll be pursued. You'll be mocked like my friend. You'll be mocked. But at the same time, you see, we embrace the testimony of Jesus, which strengthens us in that season. That's why John was on the island of Patmos when he received this very letter, this vision, who bore witness of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and all that he has done. Now, you may think, this isn't relevant for us. I'm not, I don't see myself being tied to a stake anytime soon. Probably not. Probably not in America. You probably won't. The day may come, but it, it's not here yet. But may we be wise to understand how the, this dragon operates as a master fisherman going after little fish one at a time. How might he do that? Send out an email, spam, to 50,000 customers, one little fish at a time. And out of those 50,000, there's one man who has a wife and who has children, and he's caught to be drawn into a, a website that can lead to very dark places. And later on, he finds himself there. He's hooked. He's been drawn. He's drawn away from his family into deeper and darker sin. And this is a Christian that this can happen to. How else might he fish in lore? Perhaps through a Facebook connection from the past where a less than content wife happens to be drawn into warm conversations with an old friend or an old boyfriend. Leads to trouble. For a Christian, it can happen. No, you may not be tied to a stake, beloved. But as James warns us, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. Death to relationships, death to peace, death to joy, perhaps physical death. He's a defeated foe. He has nothing on you unless you allow him the leverage you see. So you are a secured people, beloved. This dragon thrashes his tail. He fights, but it's a short time. It's a very short time. But you may say, short time? This has been happening for 2,000 years, brother. Short time. You don't understand my family dilemma, my family trauma, my physical ailment. Every time I try to make ends meet, someone moves the ends. You're telling me it's a short time? I've been dealing with this for 20 years. Compared to eternity, it is very, very short. Compared to eternity, it is very short. This is the reason we've been granted faith to believe, beloved. You have faith to believe that all of this was accomplished for us. All of this saving grace was accomplished outside of us. That's our testimony. Sin, death, and hell have been conquered by Christ, our victor. That's what these first century Christians embraced. So, as I close... For you as a believer, all of hell's efforts are given to shake loose your grip from Jesus. He can't do anything about your salvation. He wants to break loose this grip that you have on him and him alone. We know you can't be snatched out of his hand, amen? But he wants to break loose your grip from Christ. And remember, it's his hand that's inside the glove that we grip him with. That's grace. So, during this wilderness wandering of ours, this is our great exodus. This is the final exodus for all. We're awaiting the promised land and we grip tightly to the Christ that has saved us. 
See, we can, we can persevere because he preserves us to the end. You know the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints? Those who are saved will persevere to the end. You know why they persevere to the end? Because he preserves us to the end. And when we realize that he preserves us, it gives us the strength and the endurance to persevere. Two sides of the same coin. Preservation, perseverance. So we must study, we must pray, we must ever depend upon the conquering king, the Lord Jesus Christ, while we discern the enemy's ploys here. So we go back to the what? Back to the book. We study the book. We study the scripture so that we would not be outwitted by Satan for we are not ignorant of his devices, 2 Corinthians 2.11. For they conquered him by his blood, by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto what? Death. So in the words of Sun Tzu, if ignorant both of your enemy and yourself, you are certain to be in peril. In peril. So we live in the time of the final exodus. In the wilderness, yes. Preserved, yes. Nourished, yes. Awaiting for the promised land. A new heaven and a new earth. And you'll no longer deal with temptation. You'll no longer deal with the sin that is still in you and around you. You will rejoice in the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the earth for you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the war has been won, but that last ditch effort of battle um, unleashed by this dragon, um, we know and can be confident in the fact that um, you do sustain us in the midst of it all. Help, Lord, your people this morning to be reminded um, of the shield of faith, which we're called to take up to quench all the flaming arrows of temptation that bombard us on any given day to be reminded of the victory of Calvary, to be reminded, Lord, that it is your word that we embrace. It is Christ and his testimony that we hold on tightly to so that we would recognize the ploys and the wiles of the enemy as we embrace our Savior, trusting and reminding one another of this glorious truth forever until you take us home out of this wilderness wandering as we, we await, await the arrival of our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.